Hello, and welcome to the Homeschooling and Loving It podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, your friend at homeschool.com and homeschool mom of six. Join us as we keep it real and chat about the ups and downs of this amazing adventure we call the homeschool life. So grab a cup of your warm favorite and a comfy chair and let's get started. Hello and welcome back to the Homeschooling and Loving It podcast, where we talk about all things homeschooling and parenting. Today we are talking with the founder and CEO of Time for Learning about homeschooling and why it's important to him. John Edelson started Time for Learning for homeschoolers in 2004. His background in education and technology enabled him to see how powerful online educational programs could be so that much of the heavy lifting of homeschooling could be done for the parents, leaving them to coach and mentor and more fully enjoy their children. And so, hi, John. It's great to have you join us today. Hello, it's great to be here with you. I love it. So you have been involved with the homeschool community for coming on maybe nearly two decades. Close to? Yeah. Close to two decades. Wow. And I'm sure you've noticed over that period of time that homeschooling has really evolved. Um, But over the last two years, even more so. And so we've seen a lot, seen a lot of changes. And I'd like to hear what you think are the biggest changes that we've encountered over the last two years. Oh, Jamie, it's a great question for me because I, I like to emphasize how much change there always is. And also in many ways, how things never change. So when I started this in 2004, homeschooling was pretty exotic. Most Americans had just barely heard of it and they thought of it as um, really offbeat. Those who were involved in homeschooling felt like real pioneers. They weren't well understood by their neighbors and their community. It was um, it was the end of that era around 2004, 2005. Um, when I hopped in, I noticed how fast the homeschooling growth, uh, homeschooling movement was growing. That I was hearing from people all over the country who had just started homeschooling and their neighbors were just starting. And could I speak to this person? They were interested in starting. And that really hasn't changed, that the single biggest thing in homeschooling has been the growth over the last really 20 years. Um, Secondly, the context has changed. Uh, The simplest one, which everyone will nod yes to is, wow, technology has changed a lot. That when I was doing this, we were still in the modem day. Only a small percentage of Americans were broadband. Um, I thought it was going to head that way. So one of the courageous decisions I made early on is I committed fully to a really rich media solution that would only work well on very high performance modems or on broadband. And of course, history has helped me out enormously, Time for Learning, which was a uh, ahead of its time solution for the first five years, turned out to be just the right solution as the whole country switched to always on broadband internet communications. And you can really take advantage of software as a service and all those great streaming um, solutions. Uh, The other big piece that Time for Learning pioneered, which has now become accepted, is that education is not information. I mean, a lot of people get confused by this and they think a really good documentary or or Wikipedia or some source of information is what you have to do. Everybody's now learned that, in fact, the learning, learning anything in a meaningful way is a process. 
and it requires um, clever organization of the curriculum so that the kids are excited and interested and information and skills and the ability to apply those skills are progressively built. And then secondly, it also, um, which the homeschoolers understand this better than anyone else, uh, learning really happens when the student wants to learn. But if you don't give the child any agency, if you force them to do things on a certain schedule in a certain way, a lot of them really just sort of fold their hands or put their head down on the desk or, or maybe they don't physically do that, but emotionally they do and they shut down and they don't take advantage of the opportunity to learn. Homeschoolers have been particularly good at learning how to help their children get excited about their education, take agency and ownership over it and move forward. Wonderful. And it's so exciting to see all these changes. Your company also encourages a lot of new homeschoolers. And so I'm wondering what you would tell someone who's interested in getting started on this whole homeschooling adventure and maybe how they would start. So this is a surprisingly emotional question to many, many people, mostly mothers every day. They've decided that their child is not doing well. They really want to do the best thing for their child. They've heard over and over again. They've seen examples where homeschooling has worked really well. So they, they want to take the leap. Yeah. Well, why don't they? They're, they're terrified. <laughs> I mean, this is your child you're talking about. Yeah. And, you know, most parents feel, remember that they weren't necessarily a very good student themselves. Often I hear mom say or dad say, gosh, I never really understood math. I'm not a very good writer. Who am I to teach my child? Um, what if I mess my child up? There's just an enormous amount of fear and deep psychological stuff that comes to the surface when parents think about, gosh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to be a teacher. Um, in many cases, they thought about the teachers that they've had, some of whom, not that many, were really great, and many of whom were just awful. And they think, do I really want to be that person? Mm -hmm. um, these are all widespread concerns, and I don't want to be too dismissive of them, but they don't really turn out to be the big issues. But in modern homeschooling, it's nothing like a school. You don't have a teacher standing there in front of the student. It's not mom or dad standing up at some sort of whiteboard and explaining lesson by lesson to the child. That virtually never happens. Um, what really happens is you rely on curriculum and instructional materials to do most of the, as you put it earlier, heavy lifting of education. So if you've got a fourth grader in front of you and you're thinking, okay, what do I teach them in fourth grade? Um, in the old days, you would have a homeschool would have to go research it. In the modern world, you could just turn to time for learning and say, oh, here's the entire fourth grade curriculum, all the materials. It's like a textbook. Only instead of being a textbook, it's an interactive experience. The student logs in and in fourth grade, it's likely a character who pops up and says, hello, today we're gonna work on say fractions and they'll take you through the entire curriculum. So the parent's role is not one of providing day-to-day -day instruction. Um, it's, it's something else quite different. Now, what is it supposed to be and what should the parent do? Well, now you're back to parenting. You're a coach, you're holding them accountable, you're supporting them when they have questions. Um, what we advise starting parents to do is just, just sign them up for time for learning. And then really just do two subjects at first, just do language arts and math the first few weeks and watch your child learn. 
don't help them that much. Make them, make them sort of work through it. When they have questions, a good answer is, you know, I'm not sure what, you know, why don't you, uh, why don't you give it a try? If, if you need to review the lesson, go ahead, but keep focusing them back on learning themselves. What you'll find, well, it'll surprise you. A lot of parents have been surprised. I think of one lady, mother of Sage, and um, after about two or three weeks, she called up and was talking to us and I asked how it's going. And she says, it's just been so educational for me. I'm like, for you? And I'm speaking to the mother. Mm-hmm. And she says, yeah, my daughter hated the math. And I asked her why, and she said, it's boring. So she was in fourth grade math. And I said, well, what if we put you on fifth grade math? She said, okay, how'd she like that? Still boring, put her on sixth grade math. Well, now she says it's a little slow, but I'm learning things. Turns out mom had no idea that her daughter was a math genius, that one of the reasons she hadn't done very well in school is she was just bored out of her mind during math class, that as soon as a teacher started something, she got it. And she had been very frustrated by it. Um, The other piece of the story is that the mom also learned that Sage was not a very good reader. In fourth grade, most kids are on the chapter books and her reading comprehension and her reading skills were, were sort of appalling. Her mom watched for a while and then she worked with her a little bit, you know, sound this word out. And she found that her daughter seemed to have memorized lots and lots of words. So she was sort of a sight reader but had somehow skipped learning phonics properly and had no actual decoding skills. So she had this real deficit. What does mom do? First, she panics for a minute or two, and then she sort of reads some of the time for learning stuff. And it turns out we teach phonics really, really well in first and second grade. And she could just set it back and work with her daughter on doing phonics. And after a while, it all worked itself out. I mean, phonics is not rocket science. It is lots of work. Um, you can sort of skip it and sight read, but by fourth or fifth grade, it catches up with you and then you got to go back. Mm-hmm. So one of my advices, one of my pieces of advice for parents is follow the science of reading. Make sure your kids learn the basic skills of phonics and they'll get through elementary school equipped to really um, to read successfully. I really like how you referred to the ability to target different grade levels. So here a child was in fourth grade, but she could be in sixth grade math and in maybe second, around second grade phonics. So that's that's amazing. So one of the huge advantages of homeschooling and time for learning is that it is student paced. Now this is a really powerful concept. Um, classrooms where you have a bunch of students going along at a certain pace, the pace that they go at is frankly the average pace of the average student. This is what schools are built around. But as we all know, there is no average child or you know, one in a million. Almost all the others are to one side of the bell curve. And for them, it is stressful. If they go really fast naturally, if they're gifted in this subject, they find it frustrating to drag along at everybody else's pace. And if they're one of the ones who take a little bit longer to pick up material in that subject and in that developmental phase for them, they get depressed about it. They find it frustrating. It's a very social environment. So it often is humiliating. Mm -hmm. And a lot of kids who go through a little of this, 
don't have the grit to get through it or the encouragement and end up putting their head down on the desk and just giving up and saying, okay, I'm just bad at that. When it is student-based, there's a whole lot less emotion. If you, if you don't get it, you just do it again. It's private. There's no, um, there's no ramifications. And there's just tons of kids who flourish by having the ability to back up if they have to and repeat it or jump ahead if they've already got all this. Um, it's a very powerful adaptive tool. Now, I know schools do all sorts of things with small group and they try to adapt. And there's many teachers who are super effective at addressing this problem. The fact is it is an endemic problem to the classroom structure. And it's one of the reasons that homeschooling has a huge advantage. Absolutely. I think that's one of my favorite things because with my own children, I could do that. I could reach those very specific needs and tailor every child's education to their unique abilities and needs. So I love that, that you brought that out. So another really big concern for these new parents that are coming into homeschooling is that whole question of socialization. Um, you know, I'm kind of chuckling behind, behind that question a little because those of us who've been in the trenches with the homeschool community know the answer to that. But I think it's really good for us you know, as we're having this conversation to address it for our new homeschoolers? Again, it's a great question because it preys on everybody's minds. Mm -hmm. It feels normal and social to parents to go to school and it feels um, eccentric, risky, and perhaps a little lonely yeah. to keep your child at home. That's where parents are coming from when they make this decision. By the way, as you know, <laughs> they're, they're wrong. Um, in fact, you probably know the answer to the old homeschooling joke. What is the hardest part of homeschooling? Staying at home. Staying at home. Um, and this has gotten even worse or more fun, is the right way to say that, since homeschooling grow, grew so much the last few years. The fact is, in almost every community in the country, if you Google around and you look, there are some homeschool groups. There are large numbers of homeschool groups. And these moms and these people, they're organizing field trips and joint science experiments. And let's go learn about industry and visit all the employers in our area and see what it's like. And they got health things and they got yoga and they got all the different sports. It's go, it's, there's so much going on that it's almost, it, it, it is hard to, to figure out where to draw the limit. Um, but, and the socialization is fantastic. What I've heard over and over again is my kids, since we, we uh, started homeschooling, have made much better friends, healthier, friend, healthier friendships. And I know the, the families, I've made some friends, say the parents, than they ever did in the school environment. It's, it's really quite different. Now, I will give you just a little advice for you parents that are about to call around and go find some homeschool groups. We live in a very diverse country, and a lot of the homeschool groups are very diverse, but mostly they're not a lot of the homeschool groups center around a certain approach to homeschooling or a certain mindset. So if you find half a dozen homeschool groups in your neighborhood, you should be prepared to visit three or four of them. And you'll find a few that are exactly what you're looking for in your types of people. And then you'll probably find some others who I hope you uh, are very respectful of, but they have a different mentality about how to go about it all. And um, you know, wish them well and go, go find your own group. I also know plenty of parents who didn't find a group in their area and they said, huh, I'll start my own group. Yep. And that turns out to be pretty easy too. Because if you're, if you're looking for another group of a certain sort, go ahead and put it out there. 
And what a great example for your kids, for you to show that sort of initiative, not to be fatalistic and depressed because you can't find the group that's, that's right for you. And just go ahead and start your own, invite some families in, and you're off and running. Right. Good point. And I just want to throw out there as well, um, homeschool.com has a wonderful support group section where we've got a complete directory by state, all 50 states, and you might be able to find a good support group location there. Let me, let me say one more thing there. Yeah. What I was talking about was the physical groups in your areas, yes. and those are um, very, very important. Mm -hmm. But many people have found their online communities to be extremely helpful. Partially, you can get an answer to a question in just a few minutes. You get all sorts of diverse opinions. If you're some sort of special category, you know, parents of children with autism, parents of children on the spectrum, you know, there's all, there's all the different things. You can find groups online where they um, have very experienced and supportive uh, uh, people to help you. I know homeschool.com runs a fantastic Facebook group. Um, Time for Learning runs a series of them. There's the big Facebook family, Time for Learning Facebook families group, which is very active and a constant source of exchange and information amongst people. There's one for families with children with special needs. I think there's a military uh, homeschooling family. And I think there's actually a road schooling family, uh, homeschooling family group that we work with now that helps the people that are on the road and are looking for uh, all the resources educationally and otherwise that homeschoolers driving around would like to know about. Great. Good places to find find uh, what you need as far as even uh, immediate answers to questions. You know, I know a lot of homeschool moms who maybe are in the middle of their homeschool day and they run into a roadblock and what in the world do I do? And they just pop a question out there and in a few minutes, there's a whole bunch of answers. So it's very helpful. So I want to hear a little bit more about Time for Learning and how it works for homeschool families. So Time for Learning is your homeschool partner from pre-K to 12th grade. Okay. Uh, we're very value priced. Think of it as $20 a month or some variation depending on what, what age and how many children and all, but it's, it's, it's affordable to almost everyone. Think of it as an online interactive textbook. So all the material that you're supposed to cover in seventh grade math or seventh grade language arts or seventh grade social studies or seventh grade science are there presented in a surprisingly digestible, palatable, interesting way for the students. So with the youngest kids, it tends to be sort of silly characters. Um, they you know, introduce themselves. If they're doing fractions, they might start with a pizza and start cutting it up and get the kids familiar with there's two parts to the pizza they're the same size gosh we have halves of a pizza and then they'll do an animation of half of something else they'll, they'll take you through that um, in the older grades it tends to be much a uh, much different style it's more teachers um, with with a with a whiteboard and, and graphical help it's actually uh, getting very sophisticated they found that peer instruction is more appealing than having a real teacher figure. So this year, a lot of our um, older grades are going to shift to a, to a different teaching paradigm, which kids seem to like a lot more. There's a login for the student where their lessons are all there. Uh, the parent also has a login. This is where they see the reports. They see how long the student was online. They see how they did on the different exercises. There's also some quizzes and tests. You can see how they're doing on that. 
Um, if the parent wants to make a change, uh, they can do it back there. You can add children um, and get all sorts of data. One thing about homeschooling is the parent is the school, so the parent is responsible for record keeping. And all, not all the states, many states have very strict rules on this. Many have somewhat loose rules. But basically, as a school, you should be keeping track of what your student is studying. Um, if you're off on your own, that's a lot of paperwork. If you're using time for learning, it's automated, and you've got reports there that you can just print right out and have a paper copy or a PDF copy or, or keep them inside time for learning as long as your membership is active. So that's how you think about time for learning. It's also a community. Um, we're very interested in helping our parents with their questions. So as you get started, you might want to download our Welcome to Homeschooling Guide. It's free. It's there on the Time for Learning website. Um, it's got all the advice. We've put together all the advice from experienced homeschoolers. The question we started with was, what do you wish you had known when you had started? And it's surprising how often they say the same few things. So the resources you need as a homeschool parent, many of them are collected right there inside Time for Learning. So I love everything that you said. It sounds like it's super convenient for parents um, because one of the big issues is time. And a lot of parents are very concerned about having to grade so many papers and record those grades and keep track of records, especially if they have three, four, five, six kids. So that sounds very enticing. But one concern I hear a lot from parents is their worry about too much screen time. So what would you say if they asked you about that? So like a lot of concerns, um, this one I say is very legitimate and easily manageable. So yes, your child should be experiencing all sorts of things. And no, not all children are interested in broadening their experiences. It's always a little humorous when you hear an eight-year-old who tells you what they're interested in. And look, I like, to, I like to play video games and I like to do my lessons and I like to do this on a computer and that's it. And these eight-year-olds can be so authoritative and so clear. And of course, um, the kid's gonna grow and change an awful lot. And part of the education is to help them learn that they are a dynamic human being with all sorts of growth possibilities and they'll learn new hobbies and they'll make new friends and the parents are in a, in a place to encourage this. So how do you limit screen time in a realistic way? Well, here actually there's something to be learned from schools. Schools are pretty good at breaking the day up into, into little pieces and then you move around. I think they're a little arbitrary and strict about it, of course, but it's not a bad thing idea to start with. Um, a lot of families, homeschool families have found, particularly with high schoolers and middle schoolers that an early morning st start, well, it's counterproductive for a lot of kids. They just aren't that good first thing in the morning and there's no reason necessarily to fight it. So a lot of people say, okay, we'll start at 9.30. From 9.30 to 10.30, you're doing time for learning. You're on a computer, you're doing this. From 10.30 to 11.30, you're, you'll be doing reading. You've got this and that. And you sort of structure out a few hours of the day uh, every day. Not that you have to follow it strictly, but having a schedule which alternates between different times of schoolwork is good, including scheduling in physical activity. Um, I mean, I love the families that have 15 and 20 minute breaks uh, where they're together doing some sort of, of organized exercise, mm -hmm. be it a, be it a, 
um, a run around the house, be it, you know, throw a ball around. Um, maybe they got a, a basketball hoop in the backyard and they all do that together for 15 or 20 minutes. But there's an awful lot of kids who do so much better, and adults, by the way, if you alternate desk work and sitting still with some real physical activity. So recess, an idea which comes from schools, is something I heartily endorse. And scheduling it in as something that they can look forward to. Yeah, as my homeschool mom brain is is thinking through all these things as you were talking. And of course, uh, you can schedule in book time take time off, read, read a book, read, you know, I think uh, you mentioned that there was a, a pretty strong literature study component within Time for Learning it probably has to do with books. So that that was what I was thinking too. And then of course, the PE, those are great suggestions. And I think that's definitely something that um, would help those parents concerned about the screen time to see that there's a legitimate and an easy solution to fixing that. So John, it's about time for us to wrap up. Do you have any uh, final words of encouragement for our homeschool community, our new homeschoolers, and even our experienced homeschoolers uh, within our community and, and looking towards another homeschool year? So I've seen the same pattern over and over again for the last almost two decades. Yeah. Parents go through some experience with the school and they're convinced gosh, this is not working well for my child. I'm sure there's a better way. And with great trepidation and fear, they make the tentative decision that they will try homeschooling. Yeah. That's almost always how I see it. Uh, I'll give it a try. We'll try it for this semester. Yeah. We'll just try it with this one child for this semester. As the semester unfolds, um, it's not nirvana. It doesn't solve all the problems at once. But after the parents look back a few months in, they realize that for all their anxiety and everything, their child is doing much better. They've learned some great things about their child and how to help them go forward. And the children has now got some new friends and is beginning to hit a rhythm of learning. And the child has started taking on some agency for their own education and started defining areas that they want to learn more about. And this is one of the big problems with schools that they really, they limit the choices so much. Once a child's out and free and able to do it, they, they can get all excited. Um, and then parents homeschool for you know, three years, five years, seven years, many of them go all the way through. But you know, many parents decide they'd like a career change after five or seven years of being a homeschool parent. And, and I get it. Um, I will say that I've never ever heard a parent regret the years they spent homeschooling. I've heard plenty of regrets that they wish they hadn't started earlier. They wish they had started earlier. Mm -hmm. I've had plenty of parents who wish they hadn't switched methods soon enough. I've heard plenty of little things, but every single parent talks about it as one of the most meaningful parts of their family life, something that they found deeply rewarding, where they personally felt enormous growth as they realized how good they were at understanding their child and solving problems for their children. And the children um, generally grow, flourish, and, and take on new responsibilities. So my overall uh, message to people is, gosh, it's very mainstream now. The US Census just reported that 11% of the country, of the K-12 students are being homeschooled. Um, they came to homeschooling for many reasons, a lot of them health-related, a lot of them because of uh, different difficult things that are going on in the school. I think in the next few years, the schools will continue to be very difficult. The, um, 
the great resignation is true for a lot of businesses, but particularly the schools and substitute teachers are not generally great education. So I think the homeschooling movement will keep growing. There's more opportunities for socialization. Colleges get better and better at understanding um, what homeschoolers have to offer. So do employers and all the other routes after high school. So I'd encourage parents to, you know, this is a great time. It's a great time to move into the movement. You don't have to pioneer. You've got partners like Time for Learning. I think we're the, the, the best of our breed, but there are plenty of choices out there for different curriculum to find a great match with your child. I'd say welcome aboard, give it a try, go to homeschool.com and read a little bit more or Time for Learning and sign up for a, for a curriculum to get started. Great. Thank you so much, John. We appreciate you joining us today. Okay, Jamie, thank you very much. What a, what a pleasure for me.